Welcome to Community Care Conversations, a podcast series sponsored by Elevate Health of Pierce County, Washington, and One Pierce Community Resiliency Fund, a subsidiary of Elevate Health. This episode of Community Care Conversations features host Robert Marshall Wells, Director of Communications for Elevate Health. Today's conversation focuses on the mental and behavioral health of teens and young adults. Robert's guest is Carter X. Carter, Wellness and Media Coordinator for Our Sister's House in Tacoma, Washington. Now, here's our host, Robert Marshall Wells. Hello, I'm Robert Marshall Wells, the host for this episode of Elevate Health Podcast Community Care Conversations. Our guest today is Carter X. Carter, Wellness and Media Coordinator for Our Sister's House in Tacoma, Washington. Thank you so much for being here, Carter. Yeah, absolutely. Pleasure to have you. So for those who may be unfamiliar, let's start uh, with uh, the logical question. Could you please provide us with an overview of Our Sister's House? What is the agency? What does it do, et cetera? Yeah, so Our Sister's House is a culturally specific, and by that I mean uh, specifically to the black community, Um, they are um, a domestic violence advocacy organization. And so what that basically means is we um, have a lot of people in the community that come to us for advocacy support, whether that be um, legal or just Um, emotional support. So a lot of survivors of domestic violence. Um, We also have uh, programmings that have support groups. So for um, people that have gone through domestic violence for their kids, as well as we're starting to branch off into uh, youth wellness services. So that can look like uh, life coaching, that can look like youth programming in schools, um, and things like that. And so we provide a lot of those resources and we try and have it be culturally specific to the black community because there aren't a lot of organizations that do mm-hmm. that, but we do provide services to everyone, um, regardless of racial identity. Right. Right. Thank you. And this is going to be a blatant plug. Um, the executive director of our sister's house, Kelly Robinson, has been a guest on our podcast on at least two occasions. And so those of you who are listening, please uh, go back and do a search because she has some wonderful information to share and um, stories about how the organization got started and so forth. So, uh, Carter, what's your role at OSH and what's your professional and or educational background? Yeah, so uh, my current role at Our Sister's House is the wellness and media coordinator. And so I help out with um, our confabulation podcast. I help out with um, new programming that we're going to be implementing that I'm going to talk about later. And then I also help with any media outreach, social media engagement, things like that. And um, so my background with education, I'm currently in my senior year to get my uh, bachelor's of arts in psychology, community and health and uh, media arts and studies. And so I will be graduating in June with that. And then kind of my professional background, um, I started out as an AmeriCorps member with Mm. Imagine Justice Project, Uh which is my first introduction into Our Sister's House. And so what 
Imagine Justice Project does is we work with youth development programs and specifically programs that tailor more towards black and brown youth and keeping them out of the juvenile justice system. Um, So I've been connected to our sister's house for two years now, and I came on as a staff member um, in December. Okay, great. That's fantastic. And if I may, what institution are you attending? I go to the Evergreen State College, specifically Mm -hmm. the Tacoma campus, and I'm a part of the Native Pathways program, uh, which is led and a lot of the uh, framework for which we do a lot of our schooling is through an indigenous lens. And Mm so uh, I think it's really a good opportunity in terms of the kind of education they offer. Absolutely. Sure. So um, you just alluded to it. We invited you here uh, today uh, because of um, some recent programming that uh, that you've actually developed yeah. and that you're in the process of, of uh, implementing. Um, what is this new program? What's it called? What's its purpose? Let's let's dive into that a little bit, please. <laughs> yeah. So the program is called Bias in Media, and it really started off as my senior capstone project for school because I was really interested in the intersections of uh, the Black and the Indigenous communities uh, in the U.S., as well as my personal identity with both of those areas. And so Bias Media is actually an acronym, an acronym which stands for Black, Indigenous, Ancestral, Solidarity, and Media. And what that kind of basically boils down to is being specifically geared towards black and indigenous communities, but also just on a a higher um, lens, really talking about anti-blackness within all communities, talking about um, indigenous, um, indigeneity and um, valuing indigenous knowledge. um, And that also can go into ancestral healing and uh, solidarity between communities and people. And so what the program really gets at is using media as a way of healing, which I think is really important because a lot of youth and young adults and really everyone in general use media on a daily basis. And typically media usage is what we spend the bulk of our day doing, Mm -hmm. whether that's consuming or creating media. And so I think it's really important for us to have the knowledge and skills and the ability to be able to think critically about the media that we are consuming and the media that we are creating and how it affects others and ourselves. And so I started to develop the program as a way to put two things together, which is the, you know, the healing um, that happens with using media as a coping skill, but also the educational side of learning about media literacy and being able to um, understand the messages that we receive and put into the world. Right. So um, we, you just, you just nailed it because you know we all spend the majority of our days staring at a screen, mm-hmm. either producing something or uh, editing something or consuming something. Um, as you were thinking about this program, what was it that prompted you? What gaps did you see, or what opportunities did you see that that made the light bulb go on, and you thought, ah. I'm on to something. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, it came down to personal experience. Uh, growing up, I was, uh, I utilized a lot of mental health services and was 
in and out of um, trying to find ways to cope with different life stressors and those types of things. And there weren't really any resources that were geared specifically towards people that hold my identity, which is being, um, you know, black or an African-American in the U.S. And I kind of see that gap happening still where we have an access. We have a lot more resources than we did when I was young. But a lot of those resources, again, aren't geared towards being that culturally specific resource that can be important. And so I thought it would be a really good idea to um, try and find ways to offer more services like this to youth and young adults who hold my same identity of having, of being able to just, you know, have that cultural aspect. Cause I think when we think about mental health, a lot of the times we're just thinking it, thinking about it on that individual level of, oh, this person is having this challenge and how can we help right. fix that? Where right. really, I think, especially within the black community and other marginalized communities, I think that first step is more the community, the culture that is needed, um, the connection that a lot of us are missing, whether it be due to racism, whether it be due to um, displacement, those kinds of things. And I think that focusing on that element first um, will be really important in kind of helping mental health in general for um, individuals. Right. You're talking about cultural sensitivity, and I wonder if we could um, let's peel that onion a little bit more. Um, some that are listening to this podcast might say, well, isn't a counselor a counselor, regardless of what the person's gender is or what the person's race is or what cultural background they're from? We're all humans. We all, you know, share the same planet. Why is cultural sensitivity an important aspect of uh, providing social services? Yeah, the culture is important because, like you were saying, we are, we are all similar in our like humanness and things like that. But I think sometimes when it comes to experience, when you're speaking to someone that doesn't hold your identity, a lot of times they're also not going to hold those shared experiences that you have related to that. And so their approach or their uh, the way they try and help you with those situations are going to be different than maybe what is really important for you to focus on. They don't, they won't, and you can tell them, you know, about the experiences, but there's still that lack of like being able to experience, like know what you're talking about on a deeper level. And so I think that while it is important, you know, to see and have providers in general, I think it is especially important to have like culturally specific providers because it will have that um, connection piece and you can kind of um, be more comfortable maybe, at least in my own personal experience, talking about certain elements of things that you're going through. Right. Understood. Um, we all have blind spots, right, mm-hmm. is what you're saying. And yeah. that, uh, a, no matter how well-intentioned someone may be, they may have a blind spot and just not know what they don't know. Um, and as a result, may not necessarily do harm, but may miss opportunities to help as much as they might want or might might have. Absolutely. Um, we're coming out of the pandemic, presumably, although, you know, it's still out there. Coronavirus is still out there. But from your perspective, what effects has the pandemic had on uh, associated dis- social disconnections and so forth? Yeah, so that's, yeah, that's a really kind of a heavy 
question because I think that what we're seeing a lot, especially with our youth and young adults, is where prior to the pandemic, we there was mental health challenges and um, in all communities and especially with youth. But I think since the pandemic, there has been like a great increase in the amount of uh, youth that are struggling with depression and anxiety, especially. Yeah. And that's on top of, you know, pre-existing anxiety and depression and other mental health challenges. And I think that um, since the pandemic, you know, we lost a lot of uh, providers. We lost a lot of um, mental health um, workers. And so not only are we seeing an increase in the amount of youth and young adults who are needing those services, needing more help and more support, we're also seeing a decrease in the amount of providers that are there to provide those supports and those resources um, either due to, you know, retiring the pandemic or um, just being burnt out from those two years because we were all going through this collective um, trauma. And that can be a lot, especially for, um, you know, community workers trying to help in those situations. Right. And, right. Yeah. So it's it just exacerbated an already existing problem. Mm-hmm. You know, we've heard that from a number of providers in the community. So um, when did you begin implementing the program when, and, and how did it come about? How did you create it? What were the steps involved? Yeah. So at first I was just, you know, compiling information, doing a lot of research on the elements of the program and I was putting it into documents. And this was, again, all geared towards a senior capstone project. Um, and then I was telling Kelly Robinson, who is the executive director at our, our sister's house, about my ideas. And they were really wanting to bring those into the community. And so right. we're wanting to, you know, apply for grants, um, trying to get, you know, the program started. And so in January is when we officially started to launch the program. January um, 2023. Yeah, January mm-hmm. 2023. And so... We've been kind of developing programming with the input of youth, with the input of young adults, um, and we're still kind of in that process, but we're also piloting some of our ideas. For example, we have been working with the AmeriCorps team um, at the Imagine Justice Project, and we've done a couple of media activities related to, you know, healing and um, media literacy, and we are going to be going into Bethel High School starting in April. And so we're going to be able to work with the youth there and talk about, you know, their media interests and use the programming that we've started to um, structure and create and tie that in with what, where their interest lies. Because uh, I think a really important part of creating programming, uh, especially that's going to be for youth and young adults is not to tell them what they want and need and Mm -hmm. is to work with them so that we can create a program that works for them, that is um, what they want to see. And so that's kind of the piece where we are now is working with youth and young adults to create the specifics of what the program should look like. I see. So you'll be offering it, obviously, through our sister's house, Mm -hmm. but the intention is also to take it to the schools as well. Is that right? Yeah. So we'll we'll be... We'll have um, one school-based programming. We'll have um, the one that's located at our sister's house um, Mm -hmm. specifically. And then our 
also our goal is to start having virtual opportunities so that it's more accessible to say youth that are in more rural parts of Pierce County, um, youth that otherwise wouldn't want to be in person either due to social distancing or just not being able to have transportation right. and things like that. Right. And so we're actually developing a Discord channel right now where we'll be able to host those virtual programmings as well as offer youth a space uh to connect with their peers 24 seven because it's a chat based uh, resource. Mm -hmm. um, but also with the um, knowledge that we're making sure that the community and that online space is staying safe um, and a lot of different uh, factors and people have access to um, us as advocates on staff and right. um, different community resources in the community. That's, that's great. Can you give us some sense, uh, some idea of how it might work on a practical level, um, perhaps the school-based uh, program that you're, you're talking about? How might someone engage with the, the program and what activities might they be engaged in if they were involved? Yeah, absolutely. So I can give the example of one of the activities that we did recently, which was we um, together as a group, we watched Wendell and Wild, which is a um, animated movie about um, a the, so the main character is a. A black youth, uh, she recently got out of the juvenile court system. She's been giving a second chance and also dealing with the grief of like losing her parents. And uh, it's a black film that, you know, offers representation outside of what we normally see in it, especially in animation. And so what we did was we used claymation art. So mm. we had clay while the movie was playing because we know that attention span, sometimes you need multiple things happening at once. We used clay to create our own characters and we gave them like backstories and their names. And so really it was a, a com and then after the movie was done, we had a conversation related to cultural identity, the juvenile justice system, and kind of bringing in those uh, higher level um, violence issues and also relating them back to interpersonal. So mm -hmm. talking about like coping skills that, cat used in the movie or talking about the systemic level of things of the juvenile justice system and how that kind of plays into the violence we see in our communities and um, that we portray ourselves. And so it was a, all in all a really good conversation that we had. So it sounds very interactive. Mm -hmm. Why did you design it in that way? Because I think sometimes when we think about media, it's like we're either on a team or individually creating this thing and then people are consuming it alone most of the time and thinking about it alone. And so I think media definitely should be more of a way to connect um, communities and come together in larger groups. So I'm really adamant about being able to discuss what we're seeing and together as a group um, because sometimes some people have ideas that we don't. We can see media in new ways. And I think it's really important to just build community around art and media being like a very heavy, heavy um, topic for that. Mm -hmm. I'll speak for myself. Um, you know, I'm a, a, a chronic couch potato <laughs> and just consume media. Mm -hmm. But this is interactive and gets people to engage with each other, think about content, mm -hmm. discuss the content. Yeah, it's 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 a new way of uh, delivering media. Yeah, it's like it's a new way, but it's also an old way. I think 
Um, a lot of times when we think about media, we think about how we consume it and um, talk about it now. But I think really media, especially when it comes to like films, I remember times when I would get sit down with my family maybe and we'd all like sit around on the couch and watch media together. We'd be laughing, talking about it. And it's like it's a community time. But mm -hmm. now it's kind of where we've slowly siloed into these. Oh, I only have these specific interests. And so I'm going to watch this alone on my phone in my room and not have that social aspect. But I think if we can be intentional about kind of bringing back the the group watching, the mm -hmm. talking about media and not just you know doing it individually i think that it can still be a good tool for right. um it doesn't have to be so isolating right active participation as opposed to passive participation yeah. interesting okay how was the program funded carter and uh, ballpark how many participants are involved at this point yeah so we actually got our initial funding through uh kaiser um permanente which they had um, they specifically wanted to create opportunities for community organizations to create programming that was culturally specific. And so uh, we applied for funding through them uh, specifically for black youth, but we're also um, having it open to everyone. We just want to be able to give black youth and black young adults a space. Right. Um, and then we also work are working with the because um, part of our sister's house is that juvenile justice connection and kind sure. of wanting to help bring more restorative practices to that. And so we're also part, we are also partnering with the Pierce County juvenile court. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of, um, so some of our programming will be specifically tailored to um, working as a diversion program. So mm -hmm. instead of youth, you know, going through the court system, right. they can come directly to our sister's house and we can get them connected to like culturally specific services that oh. will help versus it being like punitive and a punishment, mm -hmm. um, which is really important. Right. We'll be back with more in just a moment. I'm David, a legal advocate at our sister's house and one of the many hosts of our podcast, Confabulation. Our Sister's House is a domestic violence advocacy organization that centers on culturally specific care for the black community. Through an intersectional lens, we delve into a variety of topics surrounding domestic violence, mental health, current events, and societal challenges. If you or anyone you know is experiencing domestic violence, you can call OSH at 253-383-4275 or visit our website at OurSistersHouse.com. What obstacles or pushback have, has the program encountered or have you encountered in trying to implement the program so far, if any? I think for me, I haven't gotten really any community pushback or things of that nature. I think for me, it's more so just internal reflection about, you know, what I want the program to look like, what is what is most beneficial to others and not just me individually. And right. so I think sometimes the pushback is wanting to make sure that I'm creating a program and co-create really co-creating a program that is um, helpful for for others, like, and not just something that I'm like, oh, I dreamed this up and this is what I want to see. And so kind of that balance of like trying to plan things, but also trying to incorporate community voice and making sure that those things and needs are taken care of. Right, right. So in preparation for our conversation today, I had an opportunity to go through some of your materials and I was struck by the depth and the breadth and the 
the deep thinking that went into particularly the acronym itself. Um, and I'm wondering if you might take a moment just to break that down for us, because I think the the way you define the terms was interesting and insightful, and I think the audience would get a lot out of it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, going back to bias in media, the first uh, word or words of the acronym is black. And so a lot um, my thinking behind that is thinking about not only black identity, not only intersection intersectionality within the black community, but thinking about um, anti-blackness and how that kind of portrays into a lot of different systems that we have um, in our society and our culture and really making the emphasis on that it's not just for um, people who identify as black or African-American. It's really um, specialized in just you know, thinking about your own cultural identity, your own cultural, um, the way that you represent yourself, the way that, and, but also the way that you're relating to people who do have, you know, um, the identity of being black or Mm African-American and just thinking about, you know, some of those higher level things. And so kind of what goes into that on a healing aspect is thinking about, uh, situations and, Um, kind of applying like distress tolerance skills um, to situations that we might encounter um, that are related to racism, that are related to colorism and anti-blackness. And so um, then the next piece uh, is indigenous. And so that focus is on, you know, cultural beliefs and cultural attitudes and um, how we think as a collective, um, like, uh, and from history up until present day, like what does that look like? And kind of thinking about those mindfulness skills, um, being able to, um, being able to make sure that our actions or our thoughts, um, are, you know, helpful to the group, helpful to us personally, but also to those around us. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then the next piece would be that ancestral healing piece, which brings in, starts to go into the emotionality of things. So thinking about your emotions, thinking about um, why you have the emotions that you do. So a lot of that is rooted in generational trauma. A lot of that um, is rooted in um, family systems and family structures and how that's passed down over time. And so that um, ancestral healing piece is really you know, focused on the cultural emotionality and our practices and customs and um, how we can kind of bring family units together. Because where, um, you know, the the black part was focused on individual identity and then you have the indigenous that's focused on collective identity. Right. And now you have that ancestral healing piece, which is focused on, you know, trying to heal the emotions behind those identities. Mm-hmm. And so the kind of final piece of the, the bias acronym is solidarity. So that solidarity in our actions, that solidarity in our identities and our culture, that's working together um, to make sure that we are 
reducing the amount of harm we cause. And so that piece is really focused on um, interpersonal effectiveness or how our relationship skills, how we're relating to one another. It's focused on, you know, maybe showing up for movements. It's focused on that, that action piece, like what are we doing um, and how are we doing it and who is it affecting and kind of just thinking about that critically. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's within the black community, outside of the black community, that's really for everyone. Um, and then the last piece is the media literacy piece, which is being able to not only consume media, but also question media, who is, who is creating the media, mm-hmm. what is the intent behind creating right. it, and also as creators, being able to create you know responsible media where we understand the messages we're putting out, and even if it's not our intent, you know, taking that. Um, responsibility and accountability for our actions and um, just kind of that whole framework. Yeah. Thank you very much for explaining that because as I said, it, it's much more than just black indigenous ancestral. <laughs> it's, it's, it's much deeper than that. Yeah. Um, perfect segue. Uh, and thank you for setting it up. Um, your brochure specifically calls out the need for digital self-care. Mm-hmm. I'd like you to talk a little bit about that, please. I think not just teens could benefit from hearing this, but I think we all could. Yeah, so digital self-care is really um, important for not only our emotional health, but also our physical health. Because if we think about it, you know, staring at a screen for most people seven to ten hours a day is really harmful to our eyes. It can be harmful to our brains, and it really it actually changes the way we think our the um, our attention spans are, get shorter and shorter. And so, it's important to be intentional about our usage. Um, So for screen time, maybe um, setting um, timers on your phone so you're aware of how much time you've been spending on um, your phones or it can even look like um, making sure if you're consuming social media, for instance, that checking in with yourself to see how you're feeling like. Sometimes I know for me personally, I'll have a lot of um, there's a lot of news um, that is negative and it will be constant. And it's like all that I'm seeing. And so sometimes, especially over the summer when there was a lot um, happening and even still right now, um, I would just constantly be seeing negative things and it would be affecting me emotionally. And um, I would notice that maybe looking at all of that media is causing more harm than good in that Mm -hmm. moment. And so just being intentional about um, maybe taking a break, um, limiting the amount of exposure you have and not necessarily um, telling people, oh, you know, it's bad um, to consume media. It's bad to be on TikTok because that's not the case. I think it's more so the moderation, the making sure you're um, it's a healthy amount and that looks different for different people what amount um, is healthy but definitely just um, checking in with yourself and thinking about what you're consuming how you're consuming and how long you're consuming these things yes indeed you just um, referred to a number you said seven to ten hours of of screen time is that what your research has yeah how much how much screen time are we spending so uh for youth uh it's anywhere from seven to twelve hours uh and this so a day a day yeah so this was specifically during um when most people were at home and so it was a little more but even 
um, since returning back to kind of the in-person activities, it's still really high. The there it's showing that our numbers aren't really changing. It's still in that ten to twelve hour range. I I have friend. I even have personal friends who you know they consume a lot of media and they will be like, oh, I. Uh, spent maybe four hours just watching TikToks today and it's like 4 p.m., you know? And so we're really consuming a lot. And a lot of times we're not even aware of how much, you know, we're we're consuming, but it's kind of taken over um, the bulk of our days. Right, yes. And obviously diminishes the amount of time we actually spend socializing, mm-hmm. interacting with each other, uh, as individuals as yeah. opposed to interacting with our, our screens. That's terrifying. 12 hours a day. Okay. I'm setting a timer <laughs> when I get out of here, Carter. <laughs> What's your hope? What's your intention for this program? What do you, what do you, you know, think big? What's going to, what do you hope will come of this? So kind of my big level hopes are overall just creating more community, um, in our in Pierce County specifically at the moment, so you know, creating more community for uh, Black youth, for Brown youth, for um, youth that don't otherwise have a community that they can connect to, and then my hope is also to eventually create more representation. Um, within media itself. So in the piece about creating stuff, I want to see more. Um, black voices. I want to see more youth voices in media. I want to see, and not just um, characters here and there, but I, I really do want to see like uh, stories that really aren't all saying the same thing, aren't stereotypes. I want just more people to have a voice um, within media and to be able to share their, you know, stories. And I want, um, I want people to have more access to um, mental health support. And a lot of that doesn't have to even look like the traditional services of um, therapy um, and things like that, because although those are still important, I think um, that should look like a lot more community care. I think that if we as a community can help fill in the gaps um, that are showing the, where there's not enough providers to help as many people that need it. I think we as a community can help fill in those gaps because um, all it really takes is sometimes a conversation and things like that. So right. more of that. Right. What have we not discussed today that you think is important that we would be remiss not to mention? Is there anything? I think we really hit on a lot of the things that I was kind of coming into the conversation thinking about. Um, I think that maybe something that we could hit on is um, I would like to ask kind of what Elevate Health is doing maybe in the realm of media um, um, and working maybe in that cultural specific aspect and what um, we could look forward to from Elevate Health. Well, um, we're doing this podcast, obviously, mm-hmm. and having guests like yourself on to talk about these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also doing, um, we, you attended, in fact, a, a recent community conversation, and we'll be holding those throughout the course of 2023 and into 2024 to better gauge what the community is interested in, what is on the community's mind, and and uh, like you were saying earlier, find ways to collaborate mm-hmm. with the community. And then the last thing I would say is that um, we would love to partner with our sister's house 
to do an event Absolutely. Uh, focused around media literacy and all of the issues that you've talked about here today. So folks beyond this is an early uh, uh, advertisement that you'll be <laughs> <laughs> you'll be seeing something soon in the, in the weeks and months to come. Um, Carter, what final thoughts would you like to leave us with? And is there a call to action that you would issue to those who are listening to this podcast? What what could people who want to help, what can they do? Yeah, absolutely. So I just want to say thank you to Elevate Health for um, having me here on the podcast today. And maybe a call to action could be related to what we were just talking about and maybe checking in with yourself about, you know, the media that you do consume and how long you're spending and maybe set a timer, just not that you can't use your phone or media after that time, but maybe just so you can be aware um, because awareness is the first step in um, anything that we do. And so being more aware of how much and how long we're spending on media devices. Excellent. All right. Carter X. Carter of Our Sister's House, thanks so much for being with us today. We appreciate your work on behalf of the community, and we appreciate your comments here today. Those who wish to learn more about the BIAS program and the work of Our Sister's House can visit the organization's website at OurSister'sHouse.com. Thanks again, Carter. Thank you. This episode of Elevate Health Podcast was produced by Robert Marshall Wells, Joshua Wiersma, and Kelsey Horn. Original music was composed by Riley Eggie, and the episode was engineered and edited by Joshua Wiersma. Please like, subscribe, or follow Elevate Health Podcast wherever you are listening so you will never miss an episode.